Chapter Thirteen of Mystery at Number Six. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mystery at Number Six by Augusta Hewell Seaman. Chapter Thirteen. Ike Massey's Last Effort. The return to the hotel was accomplished in rather a daze, so far as the young folks were concerned. It had been a bewildering afternoon, and the culmination had so taken their breath away that they were still incredulous that they could possibly have heard aright. I suppose, considering the circumstances, that it would be just as well not to disclose to Mrs. Connaught exactly all of our purpose in taking this trip, in case she agrees that she and yourselves may accompany me. It would be rather hard to admit another to share in this secret, and I do not anticipate any difficulty in arranging things, so that she will suppose every one except myself is off merely on a pleasure excursion. We will start day after to-morrow, if all goes well with that car of mine. And meantime, Sidney, you and I had better scout around and see if we can unearth any clue as to the direction the party took in making their escape. It ought not to be hard to trace a trio as conspicuous as they would be, and in a mule-wagon, too. If it had been a car now, the matter would be far more difficult." I would advise that you bring those papers she confided to you along with us. I will not ask to see them till there is good and sufficient reason to do so, and when you all agree that I am justified in having them shown to me. The matter of the expedition was introduced to Mrs. Connaught by Mr. Treadwell himself that night. Owing to the fact that he had been a friend of her father, she was the more easily persuaded. And in addition, a trip down through Florida in Mr. Treadwell's luxurious car was a treat, that no one could look upon without favour, especially as the life in a little phosphate-town hotel had long since began to pall. To the great delight of the cousins she gave her consent, and preparations for the excursion at once began to be made. The following morning was spent by Mr. Treadwell and Sidney in the latter's car, exploring all the region for a radius of a score of miles, striving to unearth any trace of the trail the fugitives had taken. It was in the main without any definite result. Several days had elapsed since the flight. More than that, as the earliest stage had doubtless been accomplished long after nightfall, few, if any, had noticed a mule-wagon with its party of three. Mule-wagons were not at all uncommon, even travelling after dark. And Sidney suggested that in all likelihood Jerry had clung in the main to the unfrequented and poor roads, and so kept out of sight of the greatest traffic. Since Mr. Treadwell was of the opinion that perhaps the owner of the old farmhouse might afford them some clue, they hunted him up. As Mr. Caswell had once told Sidney, he proved to be a doctor who lived in a nearby town. He acknowledged that the land around the pool and the old farmhouse belonged to him, and that he had rented it to Jerry, who had given his name as Mr. Simpson, had been paid a month's rent in advance, and had heard nothing more of his tenants. He was surprised beyond measure to be told they had gone. He knew nothing about who they were or where they had come from. He admitted that the old house was very dilapidated, and that he had not expected to let it at all, but was contemplating having it torn down, when Jerry applied to rent it and establish his family there, and, as he did not seem to object to its condition or require it to be repaired, the doctor was only too glad to be able to rent it so easily. There was no useful information to be gained in that direction, and the two turned their attention to another. They drove out to number six, and examined critically every trail that led from the old farmhouse, hoping to see, perhaps, the mule tracks or wagon ruts left by the cart. But a heavy rain the night before had washed away every trace of recent make, and left them as much at sea as before. 
At this point, Sidney and Mr. Treadwell sat down on the edge of the dilapidated veranda to think it out. "'We might as well boil it down to the two or three final possibilities,' decided Mr. Treadwell. After all, whatever route he may have taken from here, Jerry's destination was the Everglades. It's only a question of what point he planned to enter at. Let's reduce the thing to its smallest number of possibilities. We're over near the west coast. He would hardly, then, plan to take the long trip over to the east coast and enter by the routes in it from there. The quickest and safest for him would, of course, be the nearest. Granted, then, that he decides for the west entrances, if he pursued the usual course, Fort Myers, the Caloosahatchee River, and so on, he would undoubtedly realize that he could easily be traced. He would try for a course further in. He might even get over to the Kissimmee River, abandon his mule cart, and go down the river by boat or canoe, through Lake Okeechobee in the same way, and so strike into the glades from the north. Perhaps, looking at it from all sides, that is what he would be most likely to do. It would be the safest from observation. In any case, his progress is sure to be slow, unless he abandoned everything and took a train, say, to Moorhaven on the lake. But this I am certain he would not do. Our best bet, therefore, is to get down, as speedily as possible, to Lake Okeechobee, and see if we can head him off there. His travelling will necessarily be very slow. In all likelihood, too, he will have to stop and get supplies at the southern end of the lake before he enters the glades. There's where we'll catch him. I propose, then, that we run over to the east coast and down as far as Palm Beach, striking in from there to the lower end of the lake. But isn't that going a long way around? questioned Sidney. There's an old saying, the longest way round is the shortest way home, laughed Mr. Treadwell. It applies particularly in this case, because the roads are better on that side, and we can make quicker progress. Jerry, I figure, is ambling slowly down the Kissimmee River, and keeping as much as possible out of sight. It will take him, at the very least, a week to reach the southern end of the lake, probably longer. If we push it, then, we'll be liable to reach the place long before him, and welcome him when he gets there. I have ordered the car to be ready at eight o'clock sharp tomorrow morning, and we ought to reach Melbourne, on the east coast, long before dark. By the next night we will easily have reached Palm Beach and can strike in from there, and then— At this point Mr. Treadwell was interrupted by a curious thing, the sound of a match struck within the old house on whose veranda they were sitting. Both of them jumped as if they'd been shot. "'Did you hear that?' Sidney whispered as they scrambled to their feet. But they were not quick enough to get inside before a figure appeared in the doorway. It was Ike Massey, slouching nonchalantly against the doorpost, lighting his ill-smelling corn-cob pipe. "'Mornin,' he offered, grinning at their very patent astonishment and consternation. "'Hope I didn't disturb you. Didn't expect to find no one here at this hour of the day.' The man was evidently a stranger to Mr. Treadwell, who was looking him over in considerable surprise and annoyance. Sidney's mind, working like lightning, strove to figure out how Ike had got into the house without their seeing him, and just how long he might have been there. They had been all through the house themselves earlier in the morning, and it was certain that he was then nowhere about. He must have come in unobserved at the back door while they had been sitting there, and there was absolutely no telling when he had come, or how much of their conversation he had overheard. Deeming, however, that discretion would be the better part of valour, and that it would be best all around not to exhibit any sign of worry to Ike, Sidney determined to do the polite thing. "'You sure did startle us, Ike. Have you taken up your headquarters here?' meet my friend, Mr. Treadwell. This is Ike Massey, greatest hunter and fisherman in these parts. I come in a spell back to see if I could find a match or two. Dropped mine in the pool, and they ain't no good now. 
Thought maybe Jerry'd left a few around. Found a couple on the mantel shelf, but that's all. You ain't got any about you, friends, have you now? It all sounded plausible enough, yet both could not help but feel that the man overheard much of their conversation, and that, no doubt, with intention. Sidney especially was convinced of this. Mr. Treadwell, however, handed Ike a box of safety matches, and bade him keep them, as he had another about him. "'Thank ye, thank ye,' said Ike, lowering his slouchy bulk to a seat beside them on the veranda edge. It was evident that he planned to spend the rest of the morning with them, if so allowed. "'Got a couple of lines set out down to the pool, but the bitin's been kind of poor this morning. Funny how some days you can't pull em in fast enough, and others you could sit from morning till night without a nibble, and as far as you can see the two days is exactly alike.' But Mr. Treadwell and Sidney were in no mood to discuss the possibilities of fishing at that time, and made a move for departure. "'Well, I guess it's about time we were getting back,' remarked Sidney, as he and Mr. Treadwell lowered themselves from the veranda, preparatory to leaving the scene. "'Hope luck'll change before the day's out, Ike. So long.' But Ike was not easily to be defrauded of his desired bit of gossip. He shifted his pipe and laid a detaining hand on Sidney's arm. "'What you up to, anyway?' he demanded, in a stage whisper. You two on the track of that Jerry, all right, ain't you? Found out what he done? I couldn't help hearin' a bit of what you were talkin' of while in there fussin' around. The barefaced acknowledgment of his eavesdropping exasperated Sidney, and he lost his temper with Ike at last. It's none of your business, Ike, what we want with Jerry. You've been trying to poke into this affair long enough. Now quit it. And kindly don't mention the matter to me again. The retort was a mistake, as he was soon to discover. Ike did not get mad. That was not his method. He only slouched down a little farther on his backbone and leered up with an unpleasant grin. "'Gettin' kind of cocky, ain't ya? Strikes me I remember an evening not so long ago that you was glad enough to fill me up chock-a-block with ice cream for the sole purpose of gettin' me to tell all I knew about this here Jerry. Now wasn't that so?' The retort almost bowled Sidney over with surprise. He had not dreamed that Ike had fathomed his purpose at that time. Evidently the man was cleverer than he had given him credit for being. Before he could reply, Ike had another facer for him. "'And then, seems to me I remember another night when you hit my trail out to number three, after stalking me at the café, and pumped me some more. Pumped me dry that time, I reckon you figured. Anyhow, I noticed since then you ain't had much use for me. Oh, I know you reckoned I was that dumb I didn't get on to your scheme, but you better begin to give Ike Massey credit for seeing and hearing and thinking a deal more than he looks capable of. Now, if I was to tell you that I knew quite a bit more about Jerry than I've let on, maybe you'd come down off your high horse and— But at this point Mr. Treadwell pushed Sidney unceremoniously out of the way and faced Ike. I'm the only one to settle with about Jerry, he announced. Jerry concerns me more than anyone else at present, Ike, so if you have anything interesting to say, kindly pour into my ear. There was something slightly withering in Mr. Treadwell's direct, steel-blue glance. When he turned it upon you, you either told the truth, or you turned precipitately and fled. Ike decided on the latter course. "'Hold on a moment,' cried Mr. Treadwell, laying a detaining hand on him as he turned on his heel to slink off. "'You haven't answered my question yet. What do you know about Jerry that you haven't already disclosed? The truth. Now!' Ike turned back with a somewhat sickly grin. He glanced just once into Mr. Treadwell's cold, keen blue eyes, and then dropped his own and kept them down. "'You took me up kind of quick on that, boss,' he stammered, shuffling his feet. "'To tell the truth, I was just sort of joshing Sidney here. I didn't exactly say I knew anything more about Jerry, if you recollect. I only said suppose I knew. I just thought—' Mr. Treadwell gripped his shoulder and looked him straight in the eye. 
"'Well, let me tell you something, my man. A few nights ago I was out driving quite late with Mr. Bostick, who runs the hotel. We were out on that wild stretch south of Fort Meade. Pretty deserted around there. We heard two or three shots from a gun, and a little while later we saw someone sneaking away with a brace of wild ducks under his arm. He didn't see us, for we'd stopped the car under an overhanging tree, and we were completely screened from view.' I wouldn't have known the man from Adam, but my host, Mr. Bostwick, told me that it was someone by the name of Ike Massey, and if it were known that he was shooting out of season, he'd be fined and perhaps imprisoned for breaking the game laws. But he said Ike was a good-natured soul, and he, for one, wouldn't want to inform the authorities about the matter. Now, Mr. Ike Massey, I want your promise here and now that you will neither bother us any further about this matter of Jerry, nor will you open your mouth to anyone else to do any further gossiping about him, or his affairs. I shall know if you do. I shall give myself the pleasure of reporting you to the proper authorities on the grounds I have mentioned. Otherwise I shall not molest you. Have I your word? Ike turned to countenance, now almost green with terror, for an instant up to Mr. Treadwell and stammered assent. And then, on being released from the grip that held him, he turned without ceremony and scrambled away to the rear of the house, and out of sight, in an incredibly short space of time. End of chapter 13